Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be picking back up where we left off the last time I was teaching, and that is going to be with verse 12, Romans 5, verse 12. We're going to complete today the second section of the book of Romans. If you remember, we started that journey in chapter 3, verse 21. We'll end with this section on chapter 5, verse 21. And this section has all been geared and topic focused upon justification or being made righteous or justified by faith alone in Christ alone and not by the works of the law. I will repeat that again for all of you. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone and not by any works of the law. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn righteousness or to be right in the eyes of God. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and not by some church or by some methodologies or rituals you, you and I can keep. It is by faith in Jesus Christ, the desire for that relationship with Jesus Christ Almighty. That's what justifies you. That's what saves you. That's what makes, be, makes you righteous because he imparts his righteousness into you in my life. Now, last, uh, last time we, we taught, we talked about through uh, the middle part of chapter 5, the, the, that we focused on God's love, and the topic was rejoice in God's love. That we can rejoice in God's love for you and I, that is an unconditional love, that he can freely pour out into our lives if we would just allow him to come into our lives and allow him to do a work through our lives. We are going to be filled with his unconditional love. That will be the fruit that will come from our life because he's doing the work through our life. We just so many times hinder that. And today we're going to see reign in God's love. And you're going to see this for the remaining of this chapter. And in that topic, we're going to see two simple points or two lives, two men's lives that have two separate distinct outcomes or fruit that came from their lives. We're going to see Adam and the fruit that has come from his life. And we're also going to see the other man, Jesus Christ himself, and the fruit that has come from his life. And we're going to see this as we finish up the topic of justification. Now we see Two things as we start here in verse 12 of chapter 5. And that we're going to see an emphasis of the fact that there is a spread of sin in the human race. And how that came about and how that started. So there's clarity to all of us here. And so Paul responds here in verse 12 after just talking about, um, in, especially in verse 8 of chapter uh, a five that said God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Verse 8. Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. So we look at this very first verse and we can take a look at this. And Apostle Paul 
brings out something very clear for us that we must have solidified in our lives. And that is he refers back to the truth that is set in Genesis chapter 3 for us. And that this is not something of, of just history or that it can be give or take. Maybe I'll accept Genesis and maybe I won't accept Genesis conversation. But he emphasizes, or according to Paul, and in Jesus also, he says in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, that Adam and Eve were real people and what they did as a lasting effect to the present day. There was an effect based on their lives and what the decisions they made in their life had a very long-lasting effect on the human race. And that is through that man's life decision... Sin entered human race. Period. Now he didn't, Paul didn't sit there and say, well, I'll just give you an example and you can, you can think of any other examples. Just think whatever you want to think. No, no. He gave it very clear based on scripture, based on this right from the beginning of time that sin entered through this one man, Adam, that sin entered. What was the sin of Adam? Disobedience. The sin of disobedience caused the fall of the human race, caused destruction, caused the things that you and I are affecting our lives today. Sin in people's lives that affect, because sin never affects just your life. Your sin has a rippling effect and affects everyone around you, regardless of what you think and feel. There's a rippling effect. And Adam's life and Eve's life and their decision to be disobedient to what God called them to do or not to do had a rippling effect on the human race. So it's not optional to accept this passage or reject this passage or rationalize or allegorize away anything that Paul is talking about here. So according to Paul's theme here in chapter 5, he, the, the key takeaway is Genesis chapter 3 that the principle has been laid right from the foundation of this world on the, the laying of that foundation of our salvation. And so to Paul, Adam was more than a historical individual, the first man. He was also what his name means in Hebrew, which means humanity. And the whole of humanity is viewed as having existed at first in the life of Adam. Now, we see here in this verse, though, one man's sin entered the world. Paul doesn't try to, doesn't prove this. He doesn't try to convince his readers or convince you and I. It is a stated fact that he's giving here. He just simply accepts the fact that sin has entered the world through Adam. And because, because of that sin through this one man, Adam, that we see death has entered through this sin. The consequence of sin of disobedience is death. Disobedience never brings life. Do you understand that? So when God is guiding you or you're instructing your children and they choose to sin by of disobedience, it's going to result in something not going well. Oh, I'll just be disobedient to my boss. I'm sure it will all work out somehow. No, no, no. Wrong thinking. 
well, if I just be disobedient with my parent, they'll never find out, and it really won't blow up. No, no, no. Disobedience never returns life and goodness. It's going to cause death and destruction. I'm just going to not feel like doing what they've asked me. I know they're in position of authority. I'm just going to stiff my neck and just do what I want to do. Just remember, it will not bring life. It will bring death, meaning there'll be a separation. There's, there's going to be cause and effect issue regards to disobedience, just like in Paul's, I mean, in uh, Adam's life here. So Adam is responsible for the fall. Did you know that? Not Eve. I know, guys, how quickly, oh, if it wasn't for Eve, it, we, we wouldn't have this problem in humanity. No, no, no. It wasn't Eve's problem. Uh, she was part of it. But Eve was deceived when she sinned. She was deceived by Satan. Adam sinned with full knowledge of what he was doing, 1 Timothy 2.14. But guess what? Adam wasn't the first to sin. Eve was not the first to sin. Lucifer was the very first one to sin. Satan, the devil himself, was the very first one to sin. We see the fact in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 15, he was this anointed cherubim. He was the top angel. He was the worship leader of all in heaven. Great position of, of responsibility. And we see in the, also specifically in verse 13 of Ezekiel 28 that he was perfect. He had not sinned. He was dwelling within the garden. He was, things were just rosy and beautiful. But then, so subtly, that perfection, that position, the desire coming in their heart, in his heart, that says, I want to be more than what I am placed to do. And I'm going to make it happen. I can make it happen. So we see also in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 15, the five I wills that come from Satan. For he said in his heart, he didn't say it outside of anybody, because, oh, God forbid that he hears me say these things. But in his heart, he says, I will ascend into heaven. I'm going to leave this garden. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in the heavenlies. Position of place. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to be above the authority. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. I will have influence over all who hear and see me. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Oh, this is, this is temporary. I am going to the heavenlies. It's going to be great. And I will be like the most high. What sin is that? The sin that Lucifer committed, pride. That is pride. And so because of that sinful pride, God had to say, you're out of here. And we know by the scriptures he was kicked out of heaven. And one third of the angels left with him. 
which we refer to as demons today. Principalities, darkness of this world that wants to cause havoc because of the I will do what I want to do. And when you have that mindset, pride is what's dominating you and my life when we get I want what I want, regardless of what God's authority or any other authority says to me. Bad deal. Very bad deal. And that's why, as parents, it's incredible responsibility because you are hearing from your child, who's a little tiny sinner, wants, I will do whatever I want to do. And so you have to work that out patiently with them because if not, that pride and that disobedience will result in death. So because sin brought death into this world, and we know that because we also see that happening in regards to not just Adam's life, not just Eve's life, not just those who surround them, but that disobedience caused a rippling effect for the whole human race. You and I are sinners because of the seed of sin of disobedience cast from Adam. And we receive that as because Adam is the father of all of us. So the argument is somehow someone's better than another and some class and all those things have no clue what the scriptures understand and know. We all come from the same seed of Adam. We're all the same human race. There's only one human race. And so you and I as believers in understanding of the scriptures, we don't have and should not have any challenge understanding that we're all equal. We all come from the same seed, the same father. But because of that sin, Romans 3.23, we saw, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you know we're all going to die? <laughs> it's 100% guaranteed. Oh, how so many times we people go, oh, we're just, we're just people of just life, and we're just going to live like we live like we're going to live forever. But we know the scriptures. We know the outcome. We know reality, that this is temporary, and only God knows the day we come into this world and the day we will leave this world, and it's based on his sovereign hands. But death has permeated. It says, spread to all men. And as a result, Adam's sin, this, 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 this is, came to light so clearly as God communicated this to Adam. This was not a surprise to Adam. He communicated, as we know in Genesis 2.17, he says, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God warned him in so clearly not to touch that fruit. Don't touch the tree. But the disobedience he did. But that principle of death was introduced to the world when Adam sinned. So Paul clearly teaches that we all sinned in Adam or in uh, the or outcome of what Adam had did or has done. 
And, and the fact that we look at this, so many times people struggle with the fact that, okay, we're humans, we're, we're mortal, we're not going to live forever here in these bodies. But in society today, you hear that this understanding and this teaching of this philosophy that, it's, <clears throat> that we're amoral. And the fact that, um, that because we're amoral, that, that we're as human, our human nature is this state of neutrality, and that when you're born, you're just, you have this clean slate, and that you, through environmental situations and, and relationships and, 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 and trauma experiences, you somehow become this, this sinful person. Well, you and I know that's, that's hogwash, that's, that's wrong thinking. Because we know what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, that we were all born sinners. We know, that we may not like the fact that we're made sinners by the work of another man, Adam. We may protest and say, I'm gonna, I, don't, I don't accept that. This is not fair. How can this be fair for my life and all the problems I'm dealing with because of Adam? I, that's not fair, God. And you go down that rationalization. How can that be? That wouldn't be fair. Is that a loving God to allow that to happen? And blah, 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 blah. You've heard all the excuses, and I'm sure, like me, have used all those excuses at one point when you were struggling with coming and surrendering your life to God. But nevertheless, it is, is it fair to be righteous by a the work of another man's life? Is it fair that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins? That's not fair. But he was willing to do it for you and I so that we could have life. It doesn't really, I've come to my own understanding that it doesn't really matter what I think and feel. It only matters what God says, and God says, you and I were born sinners, and that apart from a relationship, apart from the work of, of salvation, the, the work of grace in our lives, the reigning power of God working in our lives to free us from that sin and to forgive us and to forget of the sins of our lives and to give us eternal life, I'm destined for hell. But he gives us that pathway to be able to be free from that. All we have to do is he doesn't make us choose. He gives you the option, the ability to choose by faith and faith alone in Christ alone. But we know that here in the scripture that all men have been affected by the, and all women, of course, have been affected by the sin that came from our lives. Even David in Psalm 51.5 said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. I know that's hard to imagine that you, when your baby was born, that baby, if that could have communicated clearly, was already speaking lies. It's hard for us to gather that at times. But the scripture is very clear. Yes, environment, external environment, the people that you were involved in and working through as you're growing up in trauma and things, yes, they can affect and do have a, a tremendous effect on people's lives. I'm not discounting that whatsoever. But it's not the environment that made that person, that baby, a sinner. 
the baby was a sinner when that baby was born. We can also know that we're born for sinners for other reasons as well. I mean, first, think, think how selfish and angry that smallest baby can be. And second, think of how we never have to teach our children to be bad. It comes natural. They learn that quite simply, quite easily. It just develops. As they develop, they become more developed in that sin. And I also know the parents many times, and you wonder why they're having some challenges in some of their lives. And if babies are sinners, does that mean they go to hell? Not necessarily. We know that the children of believers are sanctified by the presence of a believing parent, 1 Corinthians 7.14. See how important it is to be believers with parents. Secondly, David had the assurance that his baby would meet him in heaven, 2 Samuel 12, 23. And finally, we know that at the end of it all, God is the judge of the entire world and will do right, Genesis 18, 25. He's a just God. And so if there are ch the children of the unbelieving parents are in heaven, it is important for you and I to understand the reason why there would be babies in heaven that were born to unbelieving parents is because God is a God of mercy and he's a mercy God and he will extend that to them as well. And that's between God and that child. But as I do, anytime I do baby dedications, you will hear me clearly say it is the fact that these, um, these believing parents brings great joy and responsibility because they know if anything happens to their baby, that baby has the reassurance by scripture is in heaven and is going to see that baby in heaven. Because we and I, you and I, do not have any assurance of how long God is going to allow us to have our children because they're his children planted in that womb to be raised by you for a period of time that he determines. And so many times we don't fully understand the timing and why and, and things. But we must come back to rest on the truth of God and that he is sovereign. There is a purpose and a reason for the things that he does in our lives and our children's lives. And that we have the reassurance that God is in control and that we must rest and allow his peace to fill our lives because of that. Oh, he will bring his peace during time of mourning. He'll give you strength in time of weakness. And joy will come in the morning. Sin does produce death. There's two types of death. The first death is a spiritual death. Ephesians 2.1 You and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Apart from God, you're going to die in your sins, spiritual death. When, but when you've given your life over to Christ 
and you accept him by faith, you, he gives you life. He is, he's going to take you from death, and we will see later in the scriptures, he'll bring you into life. Because apart from Christ, there is a separation. Sin separates you and I from God. It's, it, it hinders that relationship. It, it causes separation. And also we know the second death that we'll experience is the physical death. And Adam brought that physical death into this world. We even saw that in Genesis 5.5. So in all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Prior to that, they were, they were to live forever prior to the fall, that, that disobedience and the sin coming into. They were, we were to live forever. And we will in the future as well. But at this time, we will not. Our bodies are physically going to die. But the good news is we are going to die right on time. Right on time. Now, you and I may not go, oh, wow, that's a really short life that that person, that life was, didn't get to its fullest. Oh, they should have lived until they were 90. Who are you and I to even decide that? God makes that determination. His, that person's fullest of their life was at the exact day he decides that life was to Come to him. That they were going to leave this, this earth. That is the fullest of that person's time. It's not based on what we think based on time. Oh, it should have been 70 years of age. That's the average. Oh, it's over 70. Oh, he's had a full, a more full life than ever. I guess in number-wise, maybe. But when God has called you to do something, and when you've completed that task, you've completed your mission, you've done what God wants you to do, and according to what he knows you'll do, then it's time. You're out of here. And then we can celebrate and say you're gone, especially if they're a believer. They're gone to home to be with the Lord. We celebrate the life of going home, you know, the welcome home uh, party, and because their life was full. Even at age 15, age 25, 35, 45. 105, the, the life was full because God determines that. And what common peace it is to know that God is in control of our lives. Now, in verse 13, we see um, the law being brought into the conversation here in verse 13 and 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of him, capital H should be in your Bible, capital type of him, capital H meaning Jesus, who was to come. See, until the law was brought about, remember, Adam sinned before the law. Law was much later. Did that mean they didn't sin? Didn't that mean they didn't, weren't held responsible for their sins? No. So then what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to bring highlight to the flaws that were in the human race. If you don't know if there's a flaw in something you're looking at, just get something that's flawless and compare it. You go, whoa, I didn't even notice that. When you compare it with something else that's perfect in the background, wow, I, the flaws just pop right up. So the law sits there, and when we look at the law, and we, look at the, we see it prior to even knowing the law, we go, hey, I'm not speeding. I don't see any signs. I can just freely go down the highway here. But you know there's a law. I don't see the sign to tell me, so let's just 
go down the road because I can just tell the officer I didn't see any signs on this road. But if you know and see the sign and it says 35, you know immediately what the law is highlighting to you that going 65 is wrong. And guess what? You have just a, you have a, a decision to make. You and I have to say, am I going to be disobedient and continue to stay at 65, or am I going to be obedient and follow the law and go what the sign said? If not, take the consequence that might come your way. See, that's what the law did. It was just highlighted to the people the sinful nature of their human of the human race and that that they needed God desperately they needed God to intervene in their sinful dying life and they needed God's covering of their sins but the that reign of death even before the law was even given to the, even at the time of Moses, proves that man was under sin before the law and that that was controlling the human race. But we see that Adam was a type of him, a type of Jesus. And Paul presents Adam as this type or this picture or uh, a representation of Jesus himself. That who was coming, the Messiah that was promised to come right from the very beginning. And so both Adam and Jesus, these two men, were completely sinless men from the beginning. Both sinless. Both perfect. Both dwelling with God. Both of them did things that had consequences to all of mankind. For Adam, he chose disobedience. And it caused sin to be permeated throughout the human race. Now, in verse 15, we see the contrast. What was the decision that Jesus made, this other man? What decision he made and what was the fruit or the outcome of his life compared to Adam's? Well, in verse 15 through 17, it says, But the free gift is not like the offense. The free gift being grace. The free gift being righteous. The offense being disobedience. For if one, if by the by the one man's offense many died, because of his disobedience, many had died. But much more the grace of God and the gift and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one off offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, than, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through one, the one Jesus Christ. Clear as mud, isn't it? Did you get it all that? We can go into the next verses? No. So we're going to see some contrast here. The first one is, contrast number one is the gift versus the offense that he talks about. The gift being the grace and righteousness, the life that comes with the relationship with Jesus Christ versus offense meaning disobedience. 
Those are two choices and two different outcomes. Which one do you want? Do you want death that comes from disobedience, sin? Or do you want life, righteousness, grace reigning in your life coming from the choice of Jesus? I mean, which one is it? 2 Timothy 1.10 says, Now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's given life to you and I who has accepted Jesus Christ. We were in death. We were going to hell. Now we have a promise of heaven, eternal life, and a life not only in heaven, but a life here now. We see another contrast in verse 16, a condemnation versus justification. If you live according to the way you would like in disobedience against God, you want to live like Adam, then there's going to be wrath. There's going to be condemnation. There's going to be judgment. And we study that all the way through chapters uh, 2, 3, and 4 into 5. But if you choose Jesus, if you choose his life, choose his way, that free gift of grace, you can't earn it. He's offering it to you. All you do is accept it. That righteousness, that life, that eternal life that he gives you, that forgiveness of your sins can be imparted, be paid into your account based on choosing Jesus versus choosing a life after Adam. And then finally, in verse 17, we see another contrast, death and life. Death comes from one man's sin, Adam. Life came from that one man said, Romans 5.11, go ahead and read that later on. John 10.10, 10, there was a physical life that he was going to give, abundant life that, that God would give for those who choose life in Jesus. We're not talking about that prosperity doctrine that seems to name it, claim it, blab it, get it, you know, kind of things. No, we're talking about an abundant life that is full to what God has for you. Not only here on this life, but also in eternity. John 10, 28, he gives eternal life. John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread or partakes of my life, that kind of a focus, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. I'm going to sacrifice my own flesh so that if you will accept it, will you partake? Will you take it in, into your life? Don't look at it from a distance and say, oh, that looks really nice over there, Jesus, on the plate. Oh, that looks tempting. Smells good. That, that doesn't mean you, take, you took it in. You're just like Satan. You know of Jesus. You just haven't taken Jesus in. There is a difference of knowing Jesus and actually taking him in. Where he reigns in your life. You have to partake. is a difference. And he says here, choose life. How's death working for you? How's chaos working in your life? How's the emptiness working in your life? How's the hopelessness working in your life today if you do not know Jesus? Well, for us, who have accepted Jesus, and we do have the hope, the promise, and the life, and, and abundant life, all we have to do sometimes is reflect back to what our previous life was before God and go, oh, I want nothing to do with that, no touchy of that again. 
because life in, in Christ is so abundant and so good. But it's a free gift. He's giving it to us freely. That grace of God that abounds to many. The work that Adam brought brought death. Jesus' work brought, brings grace into one's life. But we can see very clearly that in this, there is a life and death decision that we must make while we're living on this earth. We, right from birth, I believe God is working in your life. For those who were blessed, were given godly parents. Praise the Lord, because you were hearing scriptures and you were hearing worship going on from the womb. Now, for us, for some of us, never heard the word of God, never heard of praise and worship in once in my house. Into my, even after I left and went into the military, I, I never, that was never anywhere at all remotely brought into my house let alone talked about. But still, the grace of God was working in my life as far back as I can remember. Because he desires so much to have that relationship with you. To give you that life that he promises if you would just accept him. Because you want the reign of God's love or God's grace in your life. Now, in verse 18, we see, he says, kind of like a summary, therefore, as through one man's offense, disobedience, Adam's disobedience, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, a, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now, if you look at this comparison between these two men, I mean, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 21. Christ has risen from the dead and has come, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of dead, of the dead. So all people have the opportunity to be saved. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but in long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Adam and Jesus are sometimes known as the two men. They both represent humanity. Everyone can identify of those two men. We are born identified with Adam. We are born again in identification with Jesus. And because of that, it all comes down to a free choice. God giving us the ability to choose which life you want. Do you want to stay with the one that was given because not, not because you've sinned, but because sin is in your life from birth. 
Or do you want forgiveness of your sin and to be freed from sin and to be washed as white as snow by choosing the life in Jesus? And when you make that choice, you're born again and you have a new life, a new destiny, a new, and, and you're not going south, you're going north. As much as everyone desires to go south, except for summertime, right? Your desire is, I want a heaven bound. I no longer want to be on the path to hell bound. And so as he summarizes, Paul summarizing, he makes it very clear between two men and two lives, two decisions, two different paths. You cannot take a middle road. There is no middle road as many people would love to have a middle road. There is no lukewarmness. There is no middle road. There's a fork in the road and you must choose Adam's road that you're on already or veer off and take a completely different direction and go with Jesus. Because if not, the result is condemnation and not justification. Lost, but now you can be found. And it's a free gift. Now in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Paul's emphasis, you know, at this point, you know, he keeps all the way through these verses, making a point, emphasizing the point, re-emphasizing the point, contrasting the point, comparison of the point. You can see his point for you and I today as well. That you must have that settled because after this section and we start going into the rest of Romans, you must have that settled in your life about have you chosen and continue on the path with Adam or are you going to have chosen and you're committed with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength to follow the path with Jesus. And so Paul is making this clear to his readers so that there is no question as he's summarizing and summarizing between two options. Because the only way the benefit of a life in Jesus is for you and I to make a decision or a choice to follow him. No one else can make that choice for you. If I robbed a bank and was pronounced guilty by the judge, what would happen? What would happen if a friend of mine came showing up at that trial and says to the judge, Your Honor, I love my friend so much that I want to serve his prison time for him. I want to stand in his place because I love him so much. I'll take his punishment for what he's done. He deserves that, yes, but I'm going to take that punishment, Your Honor. What would the judge say? The judge would probably say, nonsense, absolutely not. We will not punish you for his crime. That wouldn't be fair. He did the crime. He needs to now take the punishment. He must pay the penalty 
for his decisions. It would only be fair for another person to pay the penalty of another person only if I was guilty because of another person's work. Jesus came and paid the penalty for you and I. The full penalty to death. He loves you that much. But I don't want I don't want this choice. I don't want to have the choice between Adam or Jesus. Of course it's not good to have Adam's choice. I don't want death. I don't want destruction in my life and going to wherever, maybe hell. I don't know, wherever that is, whatever happens after life. That's one view people have. But I don't want Jesus either. Because I know kind of what that represents, and I don't want to go that route. I want to live my life however I want to live it. I will, I will, I will, I will. You say it five times and you see the fact that pride holds you back. Well, God sees and looks at you, at uh, the things that you think you can do it in your own power. He's, oh, you don't want Adam? You don't want Jesus? You think you can do it on your own? Okay. Well, in Isaiah 64, 6, you know, Personally, God sees anything we have to offer as filthy rags. No value you can bring, as much as in your mind you think you bring lots of value. But to God, apart from him, it's all filthy rags that we offer. To God, our personal righteousness is an offense, our counterfeit. And it so it stands between and does not guarantee, as a matter of fact, it does, it guarantees you and I damnation if we choose to do it our own way versus God's way. And that's why he says in verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Paul has shown us that the law does not justify us. Now he shows us that in itself, the law doesn't even make us sinners. Adam made us sin. Law didn't make us sin. So what is the purpose of the law then? Again, like I said, it just brings to light the flaws in our life that says, oh, I'm flawed. I'm really flawed. I really need to be fixed. I need, I need to change. This is not good. I'm, I have no value here. But God says, oh, let me come into your life and I will take away those imperfections. You'll be tremendous value in my hand. Another way that the law makes sin abound is because of the sinfulness of our heart. See, when you see when there's a line drawn, there's a tendency for the human race, that for you and I, to go, there's a line there, and they tell me the law says not to step over the line. So what do they do? You come up alongside the line. And then you contemplate, oh, I'm just going to, if they're not looking, we're just going to touch my toe on the other side. You have this tendency, when you see there's boundaries, you don't want to be put in boundaries. So you automatically rebel from your sinful nature, that pride, that disobedience, and say, I'm going to do it anyway. That's what the law does. 
That's what an authority puts you in and doesn't let you do outside what you're already doing. You have a tendency to, oh, I will, I'm going to do it all right. I'm going to cross that line. I'll figure out a way. Watch me. But that's what sin does. It brings to light that the sin that abounds in your life. And has a tendency to cause things to be worked out in your life. It comes to light that pride or that disobedience as a human. But God, Paul made it very clear where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. I look and reflect in my life and I go, oh my gosh, the flashbacks I wish I would never think about anymore. All the sinful things I did before Christ. Oh my gosh. I, I wish I wouldn't even think about those. I wish they would just go away. God, can you take my brain out and put another brain in? It has been, the, the computer's been cleaned, so there's no history, right? You've gone down that road, right? Because how the enemy plays in your mind sometimes and things come back. Well, what we need to do, and I realized as I grew and matured in, in my relationship Christ, is that, oh God, I know I used to be that wicked man. Your grace is abounded over all that sin. Your grace is abounded over everything I've ever done. Your love and grace has covered all of my sins. Your love, your grace is unlimited based on just my life alone. And you took on the sins of the world. Oh, your grace abounds so much more than our sins. If grace superabounds over sin, then we know that it is impossible to outsin the grace of God. We can't sin more than God can forgive. But we can reject his grace and forgiveness. Oh, how I love to talk and walk with someone who is in the depths of their sins and says, there's no hope for me, Pastor. Oh, how many times I've heard that in the lives of people over the years. But how comforting it is and how wonderful it is to take them right back to the scripture that says, ah, God's grace can abound over all of that. You're not unreachable to God. Just let him come into your life and watch his grace overcome all of that wickedness you just thought about. Now, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ah, grace reigns. The word reign means control, power, dominance. And as a believer, you knew how death or how sin dominated your life. And as a believer, being born again, how grace has overcome or reigns in your life today. And as you mature and as you grow in your relationship, that grace becomes grace upon grace upon grace as we see in the scripture. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in the present age, Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. 
God's grace reigns through righteousness. And grace teaches righteousness to you and I. Grace reigns to eternal life as well, we see. God's grace gives us something, takes us somewhere. Takes us out of the drudgery and out of the the miry clay that we find ourselves in before we gave our lives to Christ. And he gives us this purpose and this hope. Think of the people you know that have are stating in their lives, in the reflection of their lives, of the consequence of death. They're saying that to you and I, I have no hope. Because their hope is in their job, or their hope is in their, their health, or their hope is in their circumstances, their hope is in their their whatever they've created and they realize they've lost everything and they've tried to control it and manipulate it and coerce it and do everything to get what they want and they've come to the end and they go, I have nothing and I have no one. What the great answer that we have is the good news that God's grace can now give them a purpose in life, give them a hope and a destination with God for eternity. have that to share with people. We have that to, to give because God has given us so much. Eternal life has the idea of a present quality of life today. God gives us a quality of life given to us right now, not simply when we die and are in his presence in heaven. Grace reigns through Jesus that there, there is a king in the kingdom where grace reigns and the king is Jesus. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. A life of grace is all about Jesus, people. A life that reigns in grace is always about Jesus first and then about others. It's never about you and me, ourselves. Oh, it's a red flag for me. When I find something in my life where it's about me, immediately I know that I am not living and relying upon the grace of God. And immediately the Spirit of God quickly takes Did you just say that? Did you just think that? That is really about yourself there, Corey. How did, have you really thought about asking me first? <laughs> Have you thought about how that will affect other people first? And immediately I'm convicted and humbled and realized, oh, God, yes, you're right. I'm, the more I think about myself, the more miserable I become. I need to say, ah, but my grace abounds for you. Got your attention. Now, you want to have that conversation now? <laughs> let's, let's rethink this on how you want to do and where you want to go. Yes, Lord. You're my master. I just want to be obedient to you. That's it. It's, it's grace. And it's all about Jesus. It's about others. It's not about me. A life of grace doesn't look to self because it understands because you're all wise and all-knowing and so smart. You don't look at yourself and say, oh, I deserve everything that God is going to give me. All the reasons are in Jesus. 
none of the reasons I live is in myself. Grace doesn't reign through self, it reigns through Jesus and Jesus alone. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. That's the good news for you and I. That's what Paul is trying to get across to his readers, to you and I, through the centuries. That a life choosing to go with Jesus brings about a life of righteousness, a good, abundant life, and that you will not be have dominion under sin any longer. Satan will no longer rule your life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace reigns now for you and I as a child of God. No longer sin reigns in us. No longer controls us. And finally, John 1.16. His fullness we have all received and grace 